And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for gathering us together on this new morning of this new year. And we pray, Lord, that as we sit under your word now, you would be uh, determining our priorities as we look forward to a new year together. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, happy new year. Christmas is over. The tree, I'm sure, if it isn't already, will be coming down in your house soon. Toys and games are being packed away. The last of the leftover turkey and stuffing is maybe still sitting in the fridge because if you're anything like me, I've witnessed once again that my waistline knows no limits during the festive season. But that is all over now. It's time to prepare for a new start, a new year. We begin scribbling down those overly optimistic New Year's resolutions. I will lose all of the weight I gained during Christmas time by January the 31st, ha ha ha. Maybe we're not so alarmed about the growth of our waistlines, but the growth of our credit card balance. The meals, the presents, they were not cheap. So along with a healthier diet, maybe we're resolving to work out some prudent budgeting, get those finances back under control. What is going to be the most important goal for you this 2019? What's going to be the one resolution that matters the most? It's a good question for us to ask this morning on this New Year morning, and particularly as we come to Psalm 4 this morning, because in this psalm, we see a resolution at the heart of the life of God's King, David. Uh, one that isn't the matter of weight loss or curbing spending. Uh, we see David's resolution throughout this psalm is to know the Lord as his joy, no matter what. Uh, to root his security above all in him and in his faithfulness. And as we see here, that is what enables David to endure a particularly difficult time in his reign. In Psalm 4, we're being given a little bit of information about a very hard time that David went through during his reign, and it is his joy in the Lord that is keeping him strong. And straight away, we see him crying out. Come with me to verse 1 of Psalm 4, verse 1. And David cries out, "'Answer me when I call, O God.'" of my righteousness. See, David begins he, rather abruptly. He simply just cries out to God. We're not actually told why, what the situation is, but we know it must be bad because David is crying out with urgency here. He is in desperate need of relief. And yet even as he does cry here, he has good reason to trust that his prayers are not a waste of time. Do you see how he describes God here? O oh God of my righteousness. See, God, David knows God as his righteousness. He knows how, how God has delivered him in righteousness in the past. You see how David goes on, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Uh, David himself, he could look back and see the ways in which the Lord had been faithful to him in earlier hard times. So David's journey to the throne of Israel was not an easy one. His predecessor in King Saul, whom God had rejected, well, Saul made it his life ambition to destroy David before he could ever be recognized as king of God's people. 
Saul sought to kill him, to prevent him from ever taking the throne. But, but God had been faithful to David. He had been a God of righteousness to him, delivering him from Saul's hand time after time. So David wisely roots his confidence in the Lord in this situation. We're given hints about it in verse 2. Come with me to verse 2 as we see David's crisis. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? It seems there are some men in his own people who are refusing to recognize David as their rightful king, and they're being a real nuisance. They're seeking, we're told, to turn David's honor into shame. And maybe they're trying to persuade a good number of his people, don't take David that seriously as your king. Look to this other king for your security and provision. And before we think David is just full of self-pity here, just like, oh, it's not fair, my own citizens don't love me enough, we'll see what he says to those who have betrayed him. We see his first warning in verse 2. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? See, David actually shows loving concern for those who are committing mutiny against him. He wants them to understand how stupid it is to rebel against him as God's king. They, they are committing themselves to a worthless cause that's going to bring them nothing but harm in the end. Now, I committed myself to a worthless cause back when I was a teenager. Uh, I was going over to a friend's house one night, and for my own safety, my parents told me, Tim, you make sure you respect your curfew. You come back before 11 p.m. They knew that the streets in my town were not that safe late at night, but I knew that my mates were going to be staying out so much longer than 11 o'clock that night. So I thought to myself, oh, my mom and dad, they are so old-fashioned. They're outdated. They're just trying to spoil my fun. So I kicked up a big fuss, had a huge temper tantrum. I stormed out grumbling. I called mum from a phone box in the town. I told her, I'm not coming back, mum. I'll make it fine on my own. And I carried on stomping to my friend's house. But before I got there, I realized... I needed to get to college the next day because I had very important exams. And that meant I needed to get to the train station because college was a good 20 kilometers away. And that meant I needed a ride to the train station and I hadn't passed my test yet, so I wasn't able to drive myself, which meant, oh, hang on, I really am dependent on my mother after all. Had I persisted in that worthless cause, leaving home that night, I would have failed those vital exams and I would have brought much trouble upon myself. So thankfully, I turned tail right there, and I returned home with great apology to the great relief of my mum and dad. Well, these men, if they persist in their faithless cause against David, if they abandon him as king for another, they're going to be doing far more than simply rejecting David as their king. See what he tells these traitors in verse 3? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. See, these traitors, they are, they are rejecting not just David, but they are rejecting, therefore, the king whom God has chosen, whom God has set apart for his purposes. For them to turn their back on David, to bring him shame rather than honor, to look for hope elsewhere, they are abandoning God. They are looking for hope, therefore, where absolutely none exists, away from God. And so David warns them, do not go against me as God's chosen king, because there is no life, there's no blessing, there's no hope 
outside of him. And he gives us this second warning in verse 4. David writes, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. And we think this is probably not aimed at the traitors who we've seen David address earlier, but it's aimed at those who are still loyal to David, who are David's friends and are understandably really angry at what these traitors are doing against their king. Of course, that anger was not unavoidable, not wrong in itself. Rejecting God's king is evil. It is worthy of anger. But David's concern for his friends here is that 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 anger doesn't boil over into sin in their own hearts. They don't take matters into their own hands. They do away with these traitors themselves at bloodshed. Because two wrongs never make a right in the eyes of the Lord. David warns them, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. To ponder in your heart, it means to think a decision through carefully. Let, let the angry emotions die down first. And having fought carefully on their beds, maybe his loyal friends would remember, for David, well, God is his righteousness. God will bring David justice. So the priority for them was to continue honoring God as David is doing here, even in the way they treat the enemies of him. God would right every wrong in the end, He would vindicate his king, but it wouldn't be through the sinful actions of his wayward friends. Verse 5, David tells them, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Well, because David has his security in the Lord, he's able to show forth incredible strength in these closing verses. Despite what's going on around him, we see David's joy in the Lord. Now, he was a realist. He knew that even in Israel, amongst his own people, there were going to be traitors. See what he observes in verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Uh, For God to lift up his face upon Israel, that's another way of saying, God, please bless us. Bless your people. Uh, Be faithful to your promises that you said you will provide security. You provide blessing as we seek you. It might be that David's wider kingdom is going through a tough time as well. Maybe the harvest isn't plentiful. The borders are looking weak. And so many of his own people, they're using these current affairs as an excuse to abandon David and to look for comfort and security elsewhere. Who who will show us some good is what they say. And yet David isn't shaken. He doesn't despair because his joy is not rooted in the circumstances of the here and now. Even when he sees traitors prospering against him for a time, David can say, verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David is still full of joy, rooted in the Lord and his faithfulness, not in his current circumstances. And so he has this great inner strength, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. What was the latest issue that kept you awake at night? Thoughts, fears running through your mind, you just can't switch off. Maybe it was an exam, an interview, a heavy work deadline. Maybe meeting your future in-laws for the first time. 
Those are the kind of things that have kept me awake at night before. And David is able to know peace as he sleeps soundly on his bed, despite a far, far greater threat than the in-laws. He trusts that God is faithful. His joy is rooted in him. That's the key, not the immediate events of what's going on before him. And we can look back. We can know that God was faithful to his promise. He did act as David's righteousness. He did deliver justice. The traitors may have prospered for a time, but it went nowhere because no mutiny against David ever succeeded. He lived to an old age. The throne remained with him just as God had promised. Well, what about us today? We know God is faithful, not because we look at the ways in which he worked in David's life. No, we look to God's greater king in Christ. Uh, Psalm 4 really points forward to Christ and to his experience as well. Because like David, Jesus was rejected by those whom God gave him to bless. As David says in the psalm, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? Well, Jesus had to withstand the ridicule of so many in Israel who sought their own prosperity away from him, to be blessed away from him. Herod, who sought to have him killed at a young age to retain his throne. Uh, the Pharisees who plotted against Jesus in fear of losing their position as leaders of the people. Pilate, who sought to find favor with madding crowds, even though he knew Jesus was innocent of every crime he was charged. And yet, as our king, what did Jesus do? He showed steadfast love and faithfulness in the midst of all of those trials. He rooted his joy in his Father's will. He knew, he knew that was better than any immediate relief that he could bring to himself in the present. So even when Jesus' own disciples on the night that he's being arrested, seek to take matters into their own hands. And one of his disciples even cuts off the ear of a guard. Jesus says, stop. He could have changed that circumstance right there and then. But he told them, stop. My kingdom is not one of swords. No, he sought his father's will. Instead, he enforced the lesson of this psalm in verse 4, be angry, but do not sin. Of course, he could have taken matters into his own hands and destroyed his enemies in an instant, as he says he would. Instead, he entrusted himself to God. He was obedient, knowing full well that would lead him to his own destruction in the cross, surrendering himself to the injustice of his enemies who would kill him. And yet, that was all part of God's plan to save us. On the cross, Jesus bore our shame yours and mine, for all the ways in which I know I'm guilty of seeking my security, my blessing, outside of Christ, away from God who made me to know Him and enjoy Him above all, looking to possessions, to fleeting pleasures, to selfish ambitions, to really satisfy me, away from God. And yet Jesus bore our shame in love. So that we might be brought out of that hopelessness in sin that leads to nothing but judgment in the end and brought back to God and to the goodness of his kingdom, his promised rest. Friends, where are you going to root your joy in this coming year? Will it be in Jesus and in his finished work for us? Will you know that inner strength that no matter what storms you might face in this coming year, you are secure in his love? Well, as we resolve to do this, we will heed the warnings of this psalm 
Don't seek after lies away from God's blessing in his king. If, if this year is like any other year, well, we can expect to be full of new opportunities. Maybe for you, that will mean a new job, a new relationship. For some, maybe a, uh, another family member, a new child on the way. But there is one thing that will not change in 2019, and that is the nature of our world in which we live. We're still waiting the day when we will be delivered from the very presence of sin itself and that temptation. We remain here for now surrounded by those who will look to other things like career, relationships, family, and they will say, this is what makes life worth living. This is what you should invest in above all. You will be told, root your joy in your job, your love life, your kids. Now, as pleasant and wonderful as those gifts are from God, they are not Him. They are not where we are to root our ultimate joy. They will not bring us joy and deliverance even in death. So don't seek after lies in those aisles in the coming year. Don't live ultimately for the blessings of the here and now over and above the God who we were made to find our rest in. No, rejoice in Christ, your true King, who died to save you. Trust his words, come rain or shine in 2019, that he will secure us and deliver us no matter what. Even in the sufferings that we will face as his people. You remember the second warning of this psalm? Be angry and do not sin. God's vindication is with his king. Now, that command, be angry, do not sin, I find that really challenging, personally. Because I look back over this past year and I see the ways in which I have sinned in my anger over the silliest of issues. You could ask my wife, Melissa. She knows that for the most of the time, I'm a fairly even-tempered guy. But the minute I get into a car in this city and I prepare for the gauntlet of Jalantun Razak on a weekday morning, this transformation like Jekyll and Hyde takes place and even Tempered Tim becomes radically angry, Tim. When I'm sinned against, when someone cuts into my lane, I just find myself like that, retaliating in kind. And that's just driving a car in KL. It's, it's nothing big. It's no serious injustice at all. See, this coming year, we may well be called to suffer far more for our faith. And as we go through that furnace, it's going to stir up anger in our hearts. And the warning we have here, be angry and do not sin. Not be angry and do not seek justice. We are able and should seek vindication through the laws and authorities God has put over our land. But in those situations where we do suffer and there is no just means of vindication available to us, we are not allowed to take matters into our own hands. Two wrongs do not make a right in the Lord's eyes. We're not to give as good as we get. We're to entrust ourselves to Christ, our King. Because we know that with him, justice will come in the end. Just as God vindicated David, he will vindicate all those who belong to Christ and his kingdom. And in that promised security, we can let go of a desire to get revenge right now. We rejoice in him who will judge in the end. Now, entrusting ourselves to God in the dark days... Uh, refusing to take revenge on those who hurt us, it's not going to be easy this year. We're actually going to need one another to make any headway in these things. That's why God has given us one another as a church family. 
So can I close in encouraging you, as you start to make plans for this year, make the most of the relationships that you have here at St. Mary's. If you're not in a small group like CWBS or the Men's Breakfast, can I really commend them to you? Sign up. Look for ways to be actively encouraging one another all the more this year, to be reminding one another of God's love for you in Christ so that you would live wisely for him. You'd continue to have your eyes fixed on the eternal security that is yours in him, because only as we do that will we be prepared to entrust ourselves to God in Christ, as David does here. Will we be ready all the more for his kingdom to come where the trials will be over and the pain will be no more? Friends, whatever resolutions you decide to make, do the one wise thing. Resolve to know and love Christ above all else. Root your joy in him, knowing that God has blessed us, secured us, and granted us life forever in his kingdom in no one else but Christ. And so resolve to know, love, and rejoice in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great encouragement that you grant us through this psalm, through King David's experience, how as he faced a hard trial, he wisely entrusted himself to you and to your deliverance. He warned even his own friends, though they were angry, to not sin. Help us to live out this wisdom in Christ in the coming year. Help us by your grace to root our joy above all in him, in his love, in the death that brought us eternal life. Help us to continue placing our security there, that we would be living wisely for your kingdom now, and we would be looking forward to the day when the trials and the pains that we know in this world are over. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.